Welcome to Let Me Introduce Myself. My name is Sekou Lalo. And I'm Maxine Paul. And we are pulling back the layers of black male humanity to look at what's true, what's authentic, what's deep. Co-creating space for black men to explore their humanity, blackness, maleness, and everything in between to fully introduce themselves. Samuel, an Afro-Indigenous Mexican sibling, is clear about their identity and makes no apologies for who they are. Come journey with us as Samuel lets us in on their relationship to magic, connections to Africa, and commitment to drawing strength from the ancestors. Hear how this queer artist and educator navigates a world that often resists their plurality. Let me introduce myself. We are pulling back the layers of black manhood. Welcome to Let Me Introduce Myself. My name is Sek. I'm with my co-host, Maxine Paul, and we have the honor of welcoming Samuel today. And we look forward to having a robust conversation. And welcome, Samuel. Thank you. Wow. It just feels so magnanimous. I'm glad to be here. Do you want me to intro or... Maxime, do you say something or what's going on? So we'd like to start by asking our first prompt is for you just to introduce yourself. However you see fit. Tell us about you. About me. My name is Sam. Samuel or Samuel. Those are the three approved names. Anything else we have to fill out forms, you know, and it just gets messy. So I just stick to those and we'll be okay. I am Afro-Indigenous Mexican, exploring those connections and trying to reconnect them in ways that I can because colonization and things. They, them are my pronouns. I, I am a co-lead and a co-founder with Sweet Livity. We do culture shift work, which involves DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion work, uh, conflict resolution, strategic planning. We will plan your staff retreats. Um, we do a whole host of things, and we are in the process of a co-op conversion. So we're bringing on all folks in the network. We have about 12 that are in it, and we're close to bringing that to fruition. So we have like a whole cadre of, of skill sets and things. And I'm an artist, an activist, a dreamer, a change maker, uh, a witch, or a brujo, brujo, yeah, I, I do the X at the end because uh, gender non-conforming, and I'll stop there. Thank you. That was good. I loved it. Now, Samuel, the next question is, we go through this a lot, but I'm, I'm looking for great things from you. How are you doing? And we mean, well, really, how are you doing? Yeah. Listen, I show up as me all over, so yeah, uh, that's not a problem for me to answer that question, and Right now, I am really holding the plurality of my humanity. I'm really heavy in my heart around what's happening in the world with like not just the upcoming elections, but obviously the pandemic that we're all struggling with. We have, I've lost family to COVID. I know people are struggling because of the economy, job loss, like all of these things. So I feel that in a really, really deep way. And, and I'm holding that sorrow in my heart. And at the same time, business-wise, like we're really expanding and scaling up uh, the interests in part, no surprise to the Black Lives Matter movements that are happening right now in this moment. Organizations are becoming quote unquote woke and wanting to do this culture shift work with us and so like those things feel really good and they just feel really like wild like what's happening and so I'm holding those things and my body is tired and really exhausted and also like encouraged so it's a very strange sense I think that a lot of us are feeling like shit I can't go out I'm tired I don't <laughs> I just want to eat all the time <laughs> and like there's some good things that are also happening and we don't we're not sure how to hold all of that together mm -hmm. so yeah that's yeah that's that's good that's well it's not good it's not good but it's it's good that you share that as a place of resonance and as 
I can speak for me, who's holding some of that in my body too, and very aware of that and trying to set up spaces where I can work that out. So thank you for sharing that. And uh, since your, your heritage is very unique and you're in the movement, I wonder what that's like for you in the movement that has, has a very specific ensure you find you have to navigate some resistance around that yourself in the movement. Let's go back a little bit and just ask you in relationship to that, what makes you who you are, Samuel? I have to describe my actions for the podcast listeners. I'm rubbing my beard in deep quandary. There's a lot of things that, that make me me. Magic is the first piece. And I do go to the woo-woo side a lot. Yeah, I am, I am an intersection of so many different things. Ancestral memory and trauma and strength, right? Resilience, all of that that brings. But I also sit in this moment um, feeling the tug of my descendants on my, my ancestry at this moment. And I feel like this loop of time versus the linear time and that I'm reaching back as I'm reaching forward. And because I have connections to Africa, to the global South, into the indigeneity of this particular United States intersections, <laughs> that, <laughs> that's kind of who make me who I am. This is also why I use the X a lot because it is an inter- I am an intersection. I cross in so many different places with so many identities. Yeah, that's good. Now, I want to delve into what or who in your upbringing influenced the person you are today? Yeah. Everyone, like everything and everyone, I am an amalgam of all those, all those experiences that I've had in my entire life and all of the people that I've met, those that have been harmful to me and those who have been in my, in my corner. And so mom, of course, mom is what comes to mind. Identify a lot. My, my father and I did not have a great relationship while he was with us in this life. He was an alcoholic. I was not the ideal <laughs> son for him. And so we clashed around a lot of things. And But my mom was always the one who would listen. I learned how to listen from my mother. So I would have to say that my mom, my mom was absolutely the piece that influenced me the most. Yeah, I don't mm. understand that. Let's keep going in that direction since you were talking about your mother. What roles do you play in your life? Why and how does that impact who you are or your identity? What roles do I play in my life? Again, it just goes back to the intersections, right? I am a parent. So I have two sons that are grown now, so I don't really mess with them too much. <laughs> They're in their mid-20s. Yeah, I, you're like, I'm like this. You go on and do what you need mm-hmm. to do. So I have sat in the place of parenting and I feel like that's a broader sense because I do mentor a lot of folks. So I play that role a lot as a teacher, as an educator. I know that the youthful glow that you might see and hear in my voice is also misleading because I just crossed over to 51. So I feel like in many of my communities, especially the queer community, I am an elder. I've survived in a way that queer folks have not been able to survive. And then if you take that with the intersection of blackness and brownness, I also am an uh, And so I, I'm, I'm leaning into, I have not yet been officially identified or called in to spaces as an elder, which is what we need in our communities. But I'm feeling like on the cusp of that. So I, I feel like I'm feeling that role. I'm a business owner, an entrepreneur. So that's also a role. I'm a brother. Well, I'm a sibling. Let me re, re let me just just gender that. I'm a sibling to four others who comprise my three sisters and a brother. I'm an uncle. I'm a great uncle. Just 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 a constant. I just a lot of roles. I'm a I, I'm a dream circle holder. 
I, I do a lot of dream circle, dream work with folks. I'm a healer. Yeah, I'll stop there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You named your roles, right? Just name maybe how one or a couple of those impact you. Like, however, but just share a little bit about that because you do so much. I think, yeah. So how do they impact me? They make me want to be inclusive. They make me want to include and bring in others, all of those roles, because of the way I felt by being excluded mm-hmm. in a lot of arenas. And so they make me want to change the way white supremacy has really taken away our, all of our identities. And so they make me want to lean in to including people. That's good. Thank you for that. Okay. Now I have a little interesting question because on your, your name here, it says Samuel, gender resistant, Gonzalez, they, them. I want to delve into the gender resistant part just so we can clear that up. <laughs> so people understand that we originally created this podcast to delve into black men and you look as a man. It's a presentation. I mean, I do have a lot to do with (laughs) how I present. Certainly could shave the beard and do these other things. But for me, gender has always been an imposition. Again, I mentioned earlier, like I wasn't the, the son that my father had expected. My dad was very, very Mexican. So with that comes a set of rules as a firstborn son of what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to act. And I never... I don't think once he would have to answer that question, but I don't think I've ever once met that expectation. And so for me, gender has always been imposed. My brother is the youngest, but I was in high school before he was born. So I grew up with my sisters. My dad was absent a lot. And so my sisters and my mother, my aunts, like those were the, those were the the genders I hung out with. And so it was always imposed. You're a boy, you're supposed to do this. This is what you look like. This is what you, yeah. And so for me, I resist the imposition that others want to put on me. I don't subscribe to the binary. I don't believe in male and female. I believe that we all are who we are and that these affectations like makeup, right? Lipstick, like those things are, have been attributed to feminine ways and they're in and of themselves are just they're just things like they don't have a gender and the way we believe in gender and so we prescribe these things like for halloween men will put on makeup and do these things and it's acceptable why why is it that not acceptable at all times like these are not things that should be imposed upon folks so for me the resistance comes around the imposition that, or the the casting on me of what people think I should identify as, and I'm happy to say I I don't have, identify with either gender. I am in, in in an ambiguous space, even though my presentation, my body, my facial hair, those things present as male. But if you have a conversation with me, I might change that perspective because my mannerisms are less quote unquote masculine and become a little more feminine and I can be the way I speak, the lilt or whatever, I might, you know, do my <laughs> my neck thing or whatever, like mm-hmm. those things then all of a sudden change the perspective and then people are like, oh, you're that kind of guy, you know? And so it's like, mm-hmm. you're still gendering me, but now all of a sudden, so so it's the resistance to the application of how somebody wants to, say that I should appear. Mm, mm. You don't like boxes. No, no. <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm, I'm appreciating your perspective and how you are willing to show up despite resistance. You're, you're the resistance that you get. This is why we do this show too. There is diversity in who we are and people of color. And the narrative is important to honor your own personal narrative. I'm kind of stuck on what you said about your role, the impact of your role. And you talked about, you feel like you have to be inclusive 
because you've been excluded so much. And I get the sense, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, that that informs a lot of how you show up and your passion and your strength and your character was kind of shaped out of that resistance. So I just want you to talk about maybe a couple of salient points or significant kind of stages in your life that were turning points for you and that kind of got you where you are. So maybe, maybe give me two of those. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah, no, we save some for later, just for two for now, two for now. I know you got a lot of story. I would say the one of the biggest, well, number one would be I was born in the church, probably not literally, but like figuratively, like I grew up in church. So that was the first stage of the <laughs> exclusions that would happen for me. I mean, I was a good, I was good. I was good. I was there at the time the doors opened. I was on praise teams. I was in choirs. I was doing what I was supposed to do. And yet I was still excluded in ways. And so that was, that was a huge, one of the huge pieces. And then, and then this, just the gender piece coming out as a gender non-conforming person is also a huge leap for me. Even though I was already identified as queer, the gender piece was a huge thing because there was even more that it was just, a, it was going deeper within me, but it was also sort of creating a wall around folks who didn't quite get the, the gender identification that I was making. So those are two. That's good. We're going to come back to some more. We're going to give you some more space on that. That's good. I'm appreciating this for personal reasons too. I, I'm appreciating it. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, it's interesting because just to give you a little context, Sam, well, we do this all the time. And it's always one person brings in the guest and the other person's never met them. And I think it's so interesting that it always, there's some alignment every time, you know, there's always some alignment in the guest. So it just shows how connected we are. That's right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yep. I kind of want to ask another interesting question. What makes you Bruhex or a witch? So, yeah. So for me, for me, cooking the art of cooking is a witchcraft. It takes all these natural pieces, herbs, spices, you know, to get it right, you got to put all of that spice in there and the intention that goes into cooking. And then you serve it to folks with all that intention and all of that magic that you've created. And I love to cook. So level one <laughs> is that, that I've learned that from who did I learn to cook from? Not from my father, but from my mother, my grandmothers. Those were the folks who taught me how to cook. And if I go back just uh, one generation before my grandmothers, those women were actually curanderas or witches in the community. And I had to leap over a couple of generations to get to them before I found out, right? So it was revealed to me later in life. And so I was like, oh, okay. So that makes sense for me now because I, like, I literally will do sigil work. I don't know if you are familiar with sigils, but they're like symbols that you can create for protection or for prosperity and things like that. So like, there are things that I've been pulled into that, that I felt pulled into that are identified, if you will, specifically with witchcraft or curanderismo, where you, it's a healing art. Right. And so for me, witchcraft is a natural healing art. And that's what makes me a brujer. I can't even say it. A brujerex. Yes. Can you can you give some just a little bit of history on that? Just to give us context on what you mean, you know, by the magic piece and the energy going into the cooking. Give it a little context. If we go back and, and I think it's been mis, not misclassified, but it's been classified in this way now because of colonialism. But if we go back to our own indigeneity and that we are all indigenous somewhere, there was a connection to the land, a, first and foremost, and that we were all part of the ecosystem. We were not lords over the ecosystem. And so that our, if, if we look at indigenism here in the U.S. or in Mexico, uh, in the Americas, the ecosystem is that 
we have plant relatives and we have animal relatives. Those are our relations. Like those are, they're related to us. They're not like, <laughs> there is a, I'm not over them. I don't do these. I, I, I'm not a, a master of any of them. They are my relations. And so the connection to the natural state of how we are as humans are part of the ecosystem for me is the foundation of what now people are calling witchcraft, right? And so I'm taking it back to indigeneity and indigenous ways of being, uh, where we connected with the land, we held water sacred, we held life sacred, and those are kind of tenants in <laughs> witchcraft. Mm -hmm. So that's where I make the connection. Thank you for that. It's good to get perspective on that because coming from the church, there's a definitive kind of perspective on that. And most people don't know, not even me, I didn't even know where that came from. So it just helps for people to have context and to know where that's coming from. Because otherwise you're going to get your label, which you're going to end up resisting anyway, but it's going to be inevitable because people don't know. Thanks. And that's exactly like the way that we're described in the Bible is that man has dominion over yep. everything. That's right. That's right. And that is such a white supremacist, <laughs> right? And and I'm not here to say that if you believe in Jesus and that that is your way, then I, I support that. I still have relationship, if you will. Like I still speak with Jesus. Like you can't really separate God in any way from, from what I am. So I respect and honor all of those beliefs. They're still within me. Like those tenets of my faith are still there based on how I, I was raised. So I don't wanna, yeah, I'm not here to disrespect the Lord or any, <laughs> anything. <laughs> don't disrespect the Lord. You know, it, it's so interesting because this morning, I was just telling Seku about, I was watching a show called Enslaved. They're doing like history of like slavery and, and going around like Samuel L. Jackson, going back to his history. But one part of it like really caught me off guard today. And it was about magic, like West African magic. Like I'm literally looking at the document. This, this researcher, mathematician, he's the expert in fractals in Africa. I love fractals. And they're saying how that is working. Fractals are working with nature. And they used to do a certain type of divination in West Africa. And that is where what inspired binary code and eventually computers. Hmm. We have that because of West African divination. Please say more, either one of you, about fractals. I've never heard of it. Oh, go ahead, Samuel. Let's <laughs> know about fractals. Well, fractals, the pieces that I know about fractals is that it's the mathematical expression. There's a formula that you can do that creates, and there's uh, sort of an infinite amount of formulas that create a shape that is repetitive. So, so the spiral is like the natural fractal that like that Fibonacci sequence that like these shapes that happen in, in nature. If you look at the way plants are formed, they kind of spiral out and there's like spirals everywhere in everything. And that's kind of the idea of a fractal, except if you look online under fractals, you'll get these really vivid images that just, they start really small, but they, they repeat and they grow out in a, in a spiral. Hmm. So that's, that's what I have. I'll give you the definition from this book. I mean, I, I know about it before because of math. Like, you know, I was math engineering person. But then learning how it is part of our natural world, it is a never-ending pattern. Fractals are infinitely complex patterns that are self-similar across different scales. They're created by repeating a simple process over and over in an ongoing feedback loop. That's it. But that is like how our world works. You see it in leaves and trees and mm -hmm. mountains. That's how they are. They're just peaks of peaks, clouds of clouds, you know? Interesting. There you go. There's your ancestral knowledge for the day. There we go. <laughs> History. Yes. <laughs> so now I want to ask you, how is your relationship with other black people in general, especially uh, black men, cishet men? <laughs> yes. In general, I mean, so if we talk about church, which is, Again, a huge part of my identity growing up, I grew up in the Latin Assemblies of God. So my blackness came later because I, you know, we don't talk about those things, especially in the, in the context of colorism in Latin America. So as I was growing up and then I found out 
oh, grandma has black ancestry. How come I didn't know this? <laughs> I started to then explore that. And so I went from the Latin Assemblies of God to the Church of God in Christ. And so if you're familiar with the Kojic lifestyle, so the interesting, the interesting journey is that the Assemblies of God came, is the exact same thing as the Kojic Church, except that a white man decided he didn't want to be under a black man, because we know that Kojic is a black denomination. And so they created the Assemblies of God. Everything is exactly the same. All the tenants, all of the like bylaws, everything. So I went backwards, right? Or went back to the roots and I didn't even know. And so I've already forgotten <laughs> what the question was. Ah, Black people. So, so then now I'm identifying as a Black person uh, in Black church. This is my connection, right? This is my initial connection. And I, of course, am very light-skinned, red bone. Um, I also have very, very curly hair. And so people get confused. And so I, I'm always anything, any, any circle of people of color that I'm in, I'm automatically that thing. And so I was always the light-skinned kid, right? And so I've always been very, very, very accepted by, by Black folks, always. I've, I, don't, I, don't have a, I don't have a memory where that was not the case and I think that's that speaks to blackness. We love to include, you, you know, the and it might go back to that one drop rule, that if you have that one drop, then you're automatically. And this is why the dolezals of the world have risen. And like we just, we just, we just want, you know, everybody's family. But we're learning, and and so for me, it has been okay. It's been a great journey, and even with cis black men. I have nothing but good stories. I don't have any, I can't remember any spaces that I've been in where I have been uh, disrespected or harmed by black men. But I cannot say that about other races of men. Yeah. So for me, I've always had uh, a fine rapport or I have always been felt respected. And the thing is that I didn't come out as queer until later, like literally in my 30s. So I have always had black male friends who have accepted me and like they, when I came out, they were like, oh yeah, we already knew. You know that story, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so I've always had, I've always felt welcomed and, and appreciated. And so that's my, that's my story about black folks and black men in general. Mm. Mm. That makes me think about when you mentioned the, the other men yeah. uh, who are not of color who were not so affirming makes me want to ask the question, what are some of the things that you often want to say and hold in and can say now, however you feel it because of whatever issue you may have had with somebody? I don't, I wouldn't have it. I usually 99.9% of the time will speak my mind Mm to your face and and then what you know i don't have i don't have a lot of instances where i don't speak like i was saying initially like i show up 100 percent, and either you like it or you don't i don't really have a problem with that and so there's not a lot i i nothing comes to mind obviously we can not we're not always as forthcoming as we should be or can be, but I'm hard pressed to find something where I where I would have said didn't say something that I should have said. Yeah, it'll come to me later, and I'll be you know three sure. o'clock in the morning. I'll be like, right. oh, you said. Yeah, I'll good. think about it and maybe bring it back before we. Yeah, no, I mean that's good. I mean that's a that's a healthy thing. That's healthy. We all need that. Just say it like it is. I think okay. Here it is. I one thing that I would have said is is that I would affirm men more on their looks at where I haven't, I haven't been as forthcoming because of the fear of them interpreting that as sexual mm. or as an advance, but because there's so many good looking men and like, Hey, you know, you're, you, you have a nice face or you're, you're really good looking. Like that feels like something I would not ever say to someone because of, 
yeah, so there's a buffer there. And so I would, that, I would say that more often and I wish to be like that cougar old lady who's just like flirty and like really like, yeah, but it's like harmless, right? Like just really just being honest because there's so many beautiful people in the world and I don't think they're told that outside of sexual or sensual way. Yep. So that's what I would say. That's good. Yep. Thanks. Yeah. I appreciate that. Now I'm like, I need to tell more people that they look good. <laughs> and I, I like the way you look. You look kind of gorgeous. Now, I kind of want to hear more about what you're passionate about. It's like, what are your passions? What are you passionate about? You said a little bit of it. Yeah. Let me just start from now because I won't go back. Because right now, what's really, really driving me is retirement. Caring for myself and recognizing that I have been going at it for quite some time and I want to rest. I just want to rest. So that, how to make that happen in a world where we're, we're not supposed to retire till like 65? Is that right? I don't know that I have another 15 years. 63, me. maybe. Maybe, right? If you're doing it right. And right mm -hmm. now, like currently my, my 403B that's not going to take me very far. Right. So, so I'm figuring out how is it that I can, it's time. I know that it's time for me to sit, be an advisor on some things, but really just sort of sit and like enjoy, disfrutar, as we say in Spanish, the, the work, the fruits of the labor that I put into the world. I've, I work with so many people, so many groups. I've done a lot of that and just to be able to appreciate myself. That's my right now in this moment. That's your right now. We'll take it. So you can answer this in the right now, or you can answer this maybe in the future, but what does it mean for you to be free? Now you're going down that, you're going down that road. So I'm with this group, and we're, we call ourselves the Dismantle Collective, and we're working currently on our values. And one of the two values, one of the seven, two of the seven values that we <laughs> are settling on, one is liberation and then one is fugitivity. And so these two states for me, we all have to be free before I can be free. And that speaks to me, to this Mayan concept around, it's called in, in Lakesh. I am, you are my other me. And the response to that is, so are you. And so that there's this infinite loop of like, I can't, I can't be fully free until you are fully free. And that is everyone is the you, right? And so for me, it has, I, until we all are all there, I cannot be fully there. I'm going to dig a little deeper there sure. because it's clear your tie to your people and your commitment to your work. But what does that freedom look like for you? What does that look like in real time? in life for you? Like, how would you show up in the world if you were? I don't know that I would show up. I think <laughs> if we're talking about freedom for me would be to sit and maybe not show up as much. Mm. Uh, talking with my therapist around, she she's challenging me to say, how can you say no, even though you have capacity? And I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. So for me, it would be to not show up as much anymore. Good. That y'all youngest handled it. I'm right by you. <laughs> Sam, well, it, I don't know if you've met my partner, Stephanie. I have not, and I'm, I'm mad about that. But. <laughs> we'll figure something out. But it's interesting because I, a lot of times I see her as setting the example of trying to do this thing. Because she's figuring out as she's doing it. But she's trying to get down how, like, work as little as possible, but still do the work. <laughs> she's already down to four days a week going down to three, but still maintaining. And, you know, obviously business has gone up in this time. So what work can you do in this short term to start moving things forward in that? I'm just going to challenge you a little bit. <laughs> what work can I do Say it again? to start moving forward towards that idea of just resting and stepping back? You already said it a little bit about your therapist thing. <laughs> yeah. So saying no, I think the, 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 the building of, the, of my specific business, and you're part of this, Maxine, is that we're, we're bringing in folks 
to take on more of the work. But it's not just about our, my business, it's about the infrastructure of, of our communities. And so how do we, how, what can I do? So I, I can teach, I, I can mentor, I can coach, I can heal. Not, I can be a conduit of healing. I don't heal from my own energy, I heal from the divine. And so those are some of the things that I can do in this present moment, in the short term, where I retire in 2021. That's a quick turnaround, bro. You got to put it into the world. You got to put it into the world for it to happen. That's what I'm saying. Cool. This is a practical question, and you may have touched on it a little bit, but what kind of support do you need in this time? Because I'm going back to what you said at the beginning, Samuel, about all of the different spaces that you hold and the roles. And, you know, if there's not self-care, if you're not, you know, managing that well, it could be deleterious. So what kind of support do you need? Financial support. (laughs) Money, 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 money. There's a disconnection that has to happen. And I have a colleague or an old friend who lives in the Bay who his his only purpose is enlightenment and nothing else matters. So there's a detachment that he, that he holds. And if it's not enlightening, then he doesn't want to engage. So there's some of that, like there's, there's a, there's a way that I, I, I want to detach because I also am a hyper empath. And that means that I am always absorbing and getting input from sources outside of me. And so there's this level of detachment that I need to achieve that I haven't figured out how for my well-being. And so that's another thing. And I think community, as much of a loner as I am, I still recognize that community is important and key to our survival and to our well-being. We're social creatures. I read you need 15, minimum 15 hugs a day. I don't even like people touching me. So (laughs) I have to navigate that because there's something that is a physiological need that isn't being met, uh, especially now in in our, you know, sheltering in place. And then, so those are some of the things I need. Noted. Okay. I can relate. So I'm going to let you in on a little secret, someone. You're the last person we're going to interview for the season. So I'm going to try something different. Okay. I'm going to give you an opportunity to ask us some questions if you want. Do you, you have anything you want to ask us? Yeah, you got a little secret, all right. I didn't know it was coming. Yeah, I, that's basically my role in this show. I just make up things half the time. Right. Hey, let's go with it. So then the first question is, do I have consent to ask you both? Because it sounded like you were a little hesitant. No, no, go for it. No, no, no. No. Danger zone. Let's go. Danger zone. I mean, I, I would never ask anything offhand. I think I know Maxime to an extent. Everything we've ever done has been virtual. And I've been uh, super impressed. And I love you, Maxime. And that goes back to my, yeah. So I want to acknowledge that. I, I'm appreciating your energy, your vibe. You look 25, maybe. So kudos on the black no crack. Questions. I mean, there's so many things I would love to know about you all. Where are you, Seku? Are you in Atlanta as well? I'm in Atlanta. Yeah, I'm in Southeast. Muskogee, Creekland. Um, yeah, I'm about 20. I, I guess I think I'm about 20 minutes from Maxine. Are you, are you born born and raised there? No, no. I I have been here since 2016. And I was born in New York. Grew up in Baltimore. Went back to New York and spent... 20 years there and then came here. So yeah, that's that's I my trek. Did you? What what part of Atlanta were you? I was in Decatur, Clarkson. Mm-hmm. Why why'd you leave? Because it, it literally it was it's just landlocked. I need more water. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I think that's been both our struggle in yep. this pandemic. It's yep. like we are too far from the ocean, somewhere yeah. water. So my goal in 2021 is to buy a house in Savannah because I, mm. love, I love Savannah. It's cheaper 
to live on the water there than it is <laughs> out here in California. That would be amazing. But mm -hmm. there's so many tributaries and rivers and things out in Savannah that I, if I can just get a piece of, of a stream or a, I'll be okay. Mm -hmm. um, it's just the water is calling me. And so it, at the time I was living in Atlanta, it was a season and then it was, it was over. So mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, cool. So you we went you, to Tybee Island and I just felt Savannah and Tybee Island. I just felt so much better just being by the water. Even yeah. if Tybee was Trump country, I felt good. Yeah. <laughs> I still felt good. Yeah. So, some of it is. Some of it is. Yeah. Yeah. Ours is Hilton Head. We do. <clears throat> we spent a lot of time there. That's our spot. But we're trying, we trying to get to the water now as soon as we can. This is something else being away from the, the ocean, man. Mm -hmm. Got to get that nature going. So my question for Maxine is, what was it about Stephanie that mm -hmm. made you fall in love? It's so interesting. <laughs> we we talk, yeah. We... Me and Steph, me and Steph talk about this all, a lot, you know. Oh, do you still love me? Do you love me? Like, I'm like, yes. I think the biggest thing is she was adaptive. Like, and I feel like I was always adapting and changing as a person, and she was changing. You know, there's a whole long story of how we how we met. Cause we met three times before one, two, three times before I actually we actually got together or talked to each other for real. And the third time it was finally like. It was at like a open bar party for like her law school, like, and she had a horrible night, but she had fun with me. Like she had lost her phone. She eventually lost her keys to her, her place. She didn't have a phone. Like, so, so she didn't have anything. Like, I think I was, and I was still trying to, and I didn't have a car. I was, my friends were driving me, but she adapted and we ended up like meeting up. The next day she didn't even have a car. She had to walk me to like the train station, but like we figured it out, you know, we, we figured out she didn't have food in the house, like, but we just figured it out. I think that's the thing. It's like, wow, she's beautiful. And then on top of that, we'll, we'll be able to work together. This is a partner you need to work with. Like if something comes up, this partner, partner will be able to learn, adapt, figure it out. And I think we've grown together since then. So it's gotten even stronger. Yeah, that's good. So I knew very early on that I loved her, but mm -hmm. then understanding the context behind it, the foundation, what the foundation was behind it, took a mm -hmm. little time. Yeah, Stephanie got to hear this episode. Like this. <laughs> get your groove on. Do I get to Ooh. ask more questions? Or you can ask yeah. more. Yeah. If not, I'm a, I, have an, I have another, but you go for it. Well, I mean, I, since we're doing things, I, I don't know, though. I don't because I want to know so many things. So Senku, what is, I get an artist vibe, but what genre? I'm an actor. Yeah. Every time I tell people that about me, they say, what have I seen you in? Of course. Of course. <laughs> what, what have I seen you in? What have I seen you in? If you were in the lesbian short film genre in 19, I was, I was in a short film I mean, I've been in commercials and short films, but this was the biggest, I guess. It went all the way to Germany. It did, it did the independent film circuit. Won several awards. Uh, hmm. It's called Lucha. Spell it. Spell it. Um, L-U-C-H-A. It's based on a Salvadorian character. Uh, they were, yeah, during the revolution. I was the brother of the main character, but again, it's, it's, it's a short film. And sure. It's a lesbian film. So I was like, I wonder, is it something I can pull up on the internet or? How, you know, I, I probably can find it. Yeah, if you can find it, let us know. Send it. I'm going to check it out. I'm a movie watcher. Yep. I'll, I'll do that. That will be my homework. Yeah. Cool. Now, what have I seen you? <laughs> I've, I've done some Law and Orders, Wire, Good Wife, some, some decent amount of TV and some films and you lots of theater. All of it, all of it. I've done a lot of it. So yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I love that. That's good. That's good. You picked that up. I don't know what that was about. That witch. Uh, it's the witch. <laughs> it's the magic. It's the magic. It's like, yeah, I get all of that. I'll get all this information. Cool. Seku, what, what else do you do these days? I think it's interesting. That's the other, like, why we were laughing earlier with tie-ins and connections. Well, just in terms of in school, in divinity school, 
I'm a chaplain temporarily, maybe for longer than that. And have you heard of relational uprising? I have not. Okay. Because that just made me think about some of the work that you're doing. My wife and I are doing some work with relational uprising. It's about relational culture. And she does diversity work like you. Yeah. She was at Race Forward. Last year or this year? She was at Race Forward in 2013. And she was there for three years, like two or three years. And now she's she's doing some work with, how about IISC? Yeah. What's the, what's the actual? The Interaction Institute. Yeah, that's my complaint around this work is that we're all siloed. Sure. We're all doing amazing work and we don't know anything about anybody else. We're not supposed to. I mean, we're not, yeah, we're not allowed to. We did, if we would be working together, that would change the game. But you work, have you done some work with Stephanie at all? Just in terms of, no, I think she was trying to do some things with Lady D, but yeah, she, She's been so busy, so she hasn't had time to do much else. And she's trying to keep her time under control. Okay. Well, let me ask a closing question, Samuel. Coming out of this COVID, and who knows when that's going to happen, particularly with kind of the work that you're doing, what would you like it to look like, ideally, coming out of COVID? Key pieces for what it should be coming out of this mess is universal health care. I would love to see a, what is it they call it? Where everybody in the, everybody gets like a yearly, like you're, you get the, it's not a universal salary, but it's similar. Like everybody gets a certain amount of money every year guaranteed so that if you want to work and make extra, you can, but if you don't ha- so we're not surviving just because we're holding like five or six jobs just to survive. This ensures that everybody gets a wage and that everybody is covered health wise. And, and, and that, yeah. So those are the two pieces that need to shift for me to ensure that, that we are going back to a, a community way of being versus mm-hmm. individualized meet us for no more. Is the government providing that or? Ideally, that would be right. Yeah, the government. And in if, if there's a transition or, or a bridge period, then that would be smaller communities providing that for those people. But ideally, it's a governmental, it's a, it's a top-down, it's a structural piece that has to change for me that I want to see. Yeah. I was actually just on a call today. We were talking about like well, we we got into the conversation of universal basic income. Oh, and defunding the police. Oh, that yes, <laughs> of course. We can use that money for the <laughs> funding of people for the movement. Yeah. yeah. So in that conversation about you, they were talking about UBI, and I was like, well, what what if the prices just keep going up? They just they just change the prices on us, and whatever it is, the amount of money we have is still not going to be enough for us to survive. And they were like, oh. You're probably right. And I was like, yeah, why don't we have just universal basic services that people need? Whatever services they need for people to survive, which are human rights for us to live, give us that. You don't have to worry about the money. You just provide it. And here's what was wild for me is that there's enough resources on this fucking earth for everybody to live in abundance. Literally, there are enough resources for everyone of course to have a home to have plenty of food to have some sort of like wealth whatever that looks like in a new economy and we just have so many gatekeepers and like no we hoarders if you will like it's just it doesn't work i can't do it and i assume with with your work that you are are you trying to get grant money often or oh, no? i have i have a love hate with foundations and their money um, the way they disseminate it again and so yeah we're in conversation with some foundations that are like now oh we can give you money without restrictions you know they're like oh we get it now oh so if that trend continues and changes 
uh, where then foundations are actually giving money to effect change versus to halt change, then I'm in. I'm in. Mm. The redistribution of wealth, reparations, That's land right. rights, all that shit needs to, we need a reckoning around all that. Yep. And California, what, what do you, uh, this is the last question since you brought that up, the reparations piece, Governor Newsom with this whole reparations piece, is that just window dressing? They just making that up? Or is that, you think that's something that's a real effort that they're trying to make happen? You know, I've been watching Gavin <laughs> for some time. I was in the Bay when he started as mayor. And I mean, I, you know, he's been in the political system for a while. So there are some things that, that he that has done policy-wise that make a lot of good sense. And then there's some questionable things, but that's like, that's policy or that's politics. Right. And so I feel like it's, I feel like it's, I want to believe that it's genuine on his part and also know that we're nowhere near (laughs) to making it actually happen, but it's, we keep pushing up against the wall and at some point it breaks and we keep pushing and moving that boundary backwards. So Mm -hmm. back. So I want to believe. I want to believe. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. Thank you very much, Samuel. Thank you both. We appreciate it. You dropped some wisdom. We appreciate the conversation. This was another episode of Let Me Introduce Myself. Samuel, we truly appreciate you taking the time and sharing yourself with us. Your brilliance, insight, experience, and magic transformed us for the better. You brought up real concerns with the impositions of gender norms, especially if you present as a certain gender. We all need to think about how and why we contribute to these gender impositions, keeping us all bound to a limited way of being. The church is another realm of potential impositions, but I love that you stepped into the brew hex that you are today. We hope that your manifestation comes true and you get to retire in 2021. Thanks for capping off our first season of Let Me Introduce Myself. Stay tuned for a final episode where Seku and I discuss our reflections of this inaugural season during the pandemic.